Today's program has been brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons, third-generation cure masters producing the country's best dry-cured and aged hams, bacon, and sausage. For more information, visit surreyfarms.com. I'm Grace Bonney of After the Jump, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Episode 125 of The Morning After. I am Jesse Kiefer, back from several shows away. I am Sari Kamen, and I am so happy that Jesse Kiefer is back in the studio. I'm glad to be here, and I want to say thank you so much for, for holding down the fort and continuing to keep my voice alive even without me here. <laughs> well, it was my pleasure, but I sure did miss you. And I do want to give a quick shout out, because last week we had Thug Kitchen in the studio, and we missed you a lot, and found out today that they are number one in the New York Times bestseller list. And I'm pretty sure Congratulations, it was, I'm pretty sure kitchen. it was the morning after. Of that. course, obviously, yeah. all of yeah. our publicity, nothing to do with Gwyneth Paltrow at all. <laughs> I don't think so. Nothing to do. Yeah, actually, I asked them if we could call Gwyneth Paltrow and they didn't have her number. I mean, maybe they had our email. You didn't I almost kicked them off. <laughs> I see. I really love your integrity, Sarah. It was really about getting Gwenny on the show. Yeah, one day, maybe one day. The sky's the limit. Are you listening to that kitchen? <laughs> On today's show, Jose Ramirez Ruiz and Pam Young, the couple behind the new vegetable-focused 18-seat dining counter in Williamsburg, Semilla. We'll chat with them about how they transform their highly successful pop-up Chez Jose into a real-life restaurant. And later <laughs> in the show, we'll put uh, Pam and Jose to the test with the everyone's favorite multiple choice experience the morning after quiz so prepare for that it wasn't the same without you <laughs> it wasn't the same i know i know <laughs> i tried <laughs> but sari first you have some food news for of us course, and pam of and jose definitely you know feel free to to jump in and give your opinions always <laughs> okay uh, so, so first off a nasa astronaut made a candy corn sphere in space well, now, what does that mean? Okay, well, it means... So, before you get, you know, your panties in a twist and you're like, that's what astronauts do? Like, that's why the NASA program costs all the money in the world? <laughs> it, it actually is, like, the most nerdy thing of all time. So, he, he made a sphere using candy corns, but uh, he used oil to make it hydrophobic. Um, basically, that's what made it stick together because there's a certain, I don't know, formulaic way of using oil that repels against water to attract each other in space um <laughs> wait so they work like magnets in space yeah this is in, on this is real molecular astronomy it is actually I'm so it's, lost it's, right it's now. like it sounds fun it's like oh cool he made this fun like candy corn blob and then you're like oh it's science like of course <laughs> and it's the most nerdy thing ever and worst of all he used up the entire candy corn supply on the spaceship, so I'm going to give that a fail. Totally a fail. So they're like stuck trying to get the sphere. Yeah, full they of had. Oil. They actually had to be up there for six months, and it's like one dude wow. used the entire candy corn supply. Did you get to see a picture of this? There's a video, and it's like wow, wow, wow. How big is it? It's like a baseball. It's so. Just that's it. That's it. An entire candy corn supply. <laughs> they brought like one, like one bag. Yeah, half but, bag. Exactly, but it's not like in <laughs> space. You're like, that's cool. I'm just going to run to the drugstore. Was it their Halloween decoration instead of like a pumpkin or something? I wonder. That's what I'm wondering. <laughs> um, but anyway, apparently it was news. Okay, moving on. We all know that President Obama and uh, his wife, Michelle, was in town recently and they ate at Estella, as I'm sure you guys probably That's pretty heard. awesome. It is pretty awesome. But what is not as awesome is that it's recently come out that his credit card was declined. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, oh, yes. And boy. who let that information slip out, I, I wonder? No, it, actually, I read this article, <laughs> yeah. too. It was Obama. Yeah, he, was wow. talking, he announced it. Talking about some sort of, um, I don't know, credit card policy who knows who yeah. knows exactly you know i wasn't paying attention to that part sure. i was paying attention to the gossip part and he said recently when i was dining with michelle in new york my credit card was declined and his excuse is that he just never uses it so the one time he used it it got like a fraud attempt block <laughs> well i don't know about that but i'm just wondering that's pretty credible okay so what is <laughs> yeah no at least is. the I mean, secret service had that going for them yeah <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's cool because michelle's card worked oh perfect okay so i'm just i want to know because you guys own a restaurant now 
what would you do? Would you be like, oh, do you have another card? Or would you be like, no, it's cool. You're the president. Because <laughs> I would, but they totally were like, Can, do you have another card? And they took Michelle's card. Wow. That's pretty awesome. Well, I mean, what would you guys do? Yeah. I have no idea. They all just push it onto the waitress and, and go back to the kitchen. <laughs> well, probably the waitress was like the <laughs> first in line. It. Well, that's what I'm wondering. Like, I mean, I used to be a server. Jesse, you can certainly relate. I'm wondering like, oh, that's the worst thing ever for a waitress. Oh, it's you feel very weird. And I just usually say, for some reason, our machine is just not right. But that's your for like card, a regular customer. So <laughs> yeah, and then now I'm at. I mean, it's awkward anyway. It's Maybe awkward no matter what. He likes being treated like a regular person, a regular customer. It's just a conversation alone of like having one of the you know the waitress or waiter coming back saying like, uh, "Chef, the 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 president's." credit card is declined uh-uh. what do you want me to do i mean how, how do you answer that <laughs> I, I think it's better than i would start crying and hates like, your food right. and now like he's the is gonna yeah. go after me or like what's going on yeah. you know i would have i don't even care like as a waitress i'd have been like i got you you're good you're right good. right you know what <laughs> you're fine you dine for free tonight yeah. you, you know michelle just like rolled her eyes at him i know like, again i have to take care of this <laughs> yeah and then, and so lastly, I was reading, I'm, on, I'm online, date, I'm an online dater, is what I'm doing right now. Not, I mean, like, not this moment. Not at this moment. <laughs> not at this moment. <laughs> I, so that's, yep. So there are dating apps <laughs> now for people with specific food allergies, which really goes to show how important food has actually become. It's become, like, you know, maybe a top priority in terms of, like, the type of person you'd want to meet. So if you're someone who has a gluten-free allergy or just thinks you're gluten-free or paleo or vegetarian. There's all these different dating sites. I mean, there's a ton of them, like any sort of weird food allergy or aversion you can think of. There is a place. There's a place for that. So you know what the answer to this is? No, no, but I'm just thinking like, it's so funny. It's like, okay, so you know, what's, what's better than going to a restaurant and pissing off the entire wait staff and the chef by yourself <laughs> then coming in it with someone else. <laughs> else. I, I once dated misery someone. is company. Exactly. Well, I once dated someone who had celiac, and I could never share a bottle of wine with that person. And I knew that we could never be together. Why? Why can't they drink wine? Yeast? I don't know. Maybe not <laughs> wine. Beer. 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 Never. Beer. Yeah, I think it's beer. Oh man. See, this was I was like way young, and yeah. so maybe they were just like, I don't like wine, and then they just made up that lie to me. Oh, <laughs> but it would be no fun to date someone like if you couldn't eat something, and then they were always eating it in your face. In your face. Which I, I guess so. This would eliminate the problem. <laughs> I don't know. Would Would you guys do it if you had an, an allergy or? Well, does uh, that seem like a good idea? I don't. <laughs> I don't know if I would go on a date knowing that or make that the, the centerpiece. But what I can say is that um, my sister is celiac. Uh-huh. And oh, that, so I should stop making fun no, of No, no, no. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. I mean, it's, it's all good. But um, it did influence the way that I cook a lot. Just having that thought of like, hey, what about if my sister comes in one day without a reservation? And then here I am, the asshole chef being like, no, you know, get out of here. Or like, no, I'm not going to do this and I'm not going to do that. And then you're going to end up eating like, you know, half of the menu instead of yeah. the entire experience. Well, I guess what I'm really curious about. So if you go on like, OK, let's say you're paleo and you go on a date with someone who is also paleo. Is that like what the whole date becomes about? Is that like, oh, my God, you're paleo. I'm paleo. Like, oh, my God, you got me. Or is it or is it, you know, otherwise it could just be something that is sort of secondary and you could find your other interests and connect. I mean, I'd be. I'd be curious to find out. I bet it, it becomes the entire date. I would Absolutely. think so. And then they talk about everybody in their life who's not paleo. And, <laughs> and all the bad they, experiences. And yeah. how much they judge them. And they're like, can you believe I went to this restaurant? And they wouldn't give me kale, even though it wasn't on the menu. And there's almost like this, <laughs> this sense of commisery. Well, if they're on the website because they're paleo to begin with, then they're obviously seeking out someone that shares in their sort of world of being yeah, paleo. I'm curious. <laughs> so, Sarah, you have a, a background in, in acting, right? Um, yes. So maybe you should sign up to these dating sites and pretend to be, to have these eating disorders. <laughs> maybe. And then we can profile it on the morning after. Oh my God. That's, and that's or a write really about good it. Idea. And or write about it. Or make it. a movie. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> oh, I would so get a movie deal. But off first of you that. blog about it, I think. I think I would, ha- blogging would be the first step. Instagram. But what if someone who's paleo falls in love with me because they think I'm paleo and then I have to tell them that 
I think paleo's dumb. Well, they, they not, you you get a makeover and you become what they want. Oh, isn't that like the moral of all those like? This Greece sounds like a rom com that those. has to happen. Exactly. It's like she wasn't paleo at the beginning. She got converted, but by the end, yeah. But then she, then she paleo wins. A carb the same. Then paleo wins. I don't know. I think I should do it. What do you think? I, I definitely think you all should do it. I think our listeners. It. Yeah, you guys think so? Definitely. I think our million listeners deserve it. Yes. They need me to go to they need me to go to the next level. Yeah. I, I mean I in think the field. So. I need to get in the field. <laughs> which which eating disorder would be the most difficult for you? Um probably celiac. Yeah. Probably celiac no, probably gluten free with someone who's gluten free for funsies. Yeah. <laughs> I have a hard time getting down. You'd have to that. like hold your tongue. For funsies. And, and, yeah. yeah like, but also, someone gluten free who's not celiac. Right. Who just totally. thinks it's like oh, and even better, someone who's gluten free but doesn't actually know what gluten is. Right. Can you imagine exactly. how hard will it be for you to remember all of these different things that you need to remember when you're sitting down having dinner? That's no problem. I like, got this. you know, avoiding <laughs> that, like, you know. The soy sauce. Yeah. like Or like the bread, not just like randomly be having a great time and just reach out for the bread and start eating bread right in front of that person. But that know? would be even better because then I could pretend like I was having some sort of reaction. Oh, shit. <laughs> I don't know. Yes. I think I'm getting some sort of allergy in my arm. <laughs> yeah, I forgot I was just, gluten free. I, I feel like in, so the, messed up in, in the rom way. in the rom com, you're gonna like after dinner with your paleo date, you're gonna like run to the pizza shop or something like that and like start inhaling like dollar slices, and then they're gonna like forget they needed to get something at the drugstore for you for your paleo or whatever, and then they're gonna see you, and that's when that's gonna be the climax of the. It sounds really good. I would definitely see that. <laughs> I'm gonna All right. start camping out now. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Okay, we're, it's gonna it's gonna happen. All right. Okay. Is that is that this week's food news? Yes. That's this week's food news. We're gonna take a break here on the morning after. We're gonna come back with Pam Young and Jose Ramirez Ruiz of Simia in Brooklyn. Listening to Cat in the Box Dub by Eben Hashi on Heritage Radio Network.org. following program was brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons. Edwards Suriano hams are aged to perfection for no less than 400 days and hickory smoked to achieve a deep mahogany color. The Edwards name is well known for its world-class aged and cured meats. Their exclusive curing and aging recipe produces a unique flavor profile that enhances the quality characteristics of Berkshire pork. Optimum amounts of pure white fat marbling contribute to a flavor that's a delicate, perfect balance between sweet and salty. For more information, visit edwardsvaham.com. Hello, this is Mark Ladner from Del Posto, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network. And we're back here on the morning after with a stacked resume, including Per Se, Isa, Roberta's, just to name a few. Pam Young and Jose Ramirez Ruiz just opened their first restaurant. It's called Samia. It's a vegetable-focused 18-seat dining counter in Williamsburg. Um, it opened on Friday? Yep. Yep. Friday I'm Friday. so, so honored that you two are here <laughs> and all in one piece. Welcome Barely. to the morning after. We survived. <laughs> um, I guess let's, ask, I just want to ask, how did the first week go? Um, surprisingly well, actually. Um, the first two nights, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The first two nights. Well, I mean, we did like a sort of like a very soft opening on Wednesday for like people who work in the company. Um, and that didn't go so well. Uh, <laughs> um, Why not? So, but you were with friends, exactly. right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, but it's it's just like anything. It, I mean, Pam and I did the pop up for a year and a half, but all of a sudden you have three new people, and you know, sort of like a new new way of moving, new space, and well, not really a new space, a new a new setup. 
and uh, and it changes everything. So uh, that was a bit challenging, just moving around, make sure we weren't like bumping into each other and all that stuff, um, and making sure that the food was going out really beautifully. Um, but Friday and Saturday, uh, yes, we were there were those the first two nights that we were open, and we got great feedback from people, really really happy people. I mean, we were, we were really blessed to have a lot of people who had dined with us before, so they were totally in tune with what was going on and totally happy to be there. So I think that really made those first two nights a lot more fun and, and easy for us because they sort of knew what to expect. So the concept of Samia came from the pop-up that you two did called Shea Jose. Absolutely, yeah. So t- tell us about Shea Jose. I was not, not lucky enough to experience it. Uh, so Shea Jose... So Che Jose started uh, 2012, and he started because Pam and I lost our jobs, and uh, we wanted sort of like an in-between, you know, between like losing the job and getting a new job, just do something fun that, that we were proud of, that, you know, sort of like that whole idea of like, if we're going to go down, let's go down swinging, you know, let's go down doing exactly what we want to do. And, and we never really thought about it in the future. It was kind of like one of those spurge of the moment um, and, you know, one thing led to another. And, you know, we, we went from, like, opening one day a week to opening three days a week uh, within a year and a half and go, moving to a new space and then um, getting approached by, by our, our partner right now to, like, team up. And, and before we knew it, like, we opened Semilla. Wow. So, Shea Jose was just the two of you. Yep. And you guys were cooking, serving, busing, Pouring wine. Washing dishes. Washing dishes. Everything. Lots of dishes. <laughs> Mopping up. Yep. Everything. I mean, it was basically like we were running around for 18 plus hours a day. Um, it was exhausting. Um, it we was also BYOB. went to the market yeah. uh, to get all the produce and did all the testing yeah, ourselves. No purveyors, no deliveries, no no porter. It was pretty stupid. You know, cleaned the bathroom, <laughs> you know, like picked up the trash, you know. What was the concept of the food of Shea Jose and then how is it different or similar to Samia? So I think we both spent a pretty um, influential year in Europe working at restaurants that were... Um, for the most part, centered around product. Um, specifically, like, or, for example, in the Wolf in Belgium, it's surrounded by the farms where they got all of their vegetables. And um, we were there in the middle of the winter time, and the vegetables were gorgeous and pristine and delicious. And I think uh, coming back after spending a year in Europe, we really wanted to cook more product-based, more... Without calling ourselves farm-to-table. Like, all these restaurants in Europe that we staged at, like, they weren't, like, waving a big flag saying, like, hey, here we are, look at us, we're farm-to-table. No, this is just the way it is. Well, they had a sense of place, you know. And, of course, this is New York City. Um, There's Hudson Valley very close, but I feel like it's... It's different. It's not, you know, we aren't in the rolling Belgian countryside surrounded by raw dairy and, you know, guys digging up, you know, well, mushrooms. And I mean, I also knew that, you know, since I was like back in the Per Se days, that was, um, I think that was 08, 09, no, 09, 2010, uh, that I wanted to cook vegetables. Um, and I used to say that, I used to say, you know, the day that I opened Che Jose, and that's where the joke starts. The day that I opened Che Jose, the menu is going to be 80% vegetables. And then eventually became like, you know, when somebody will tell me like, okay, blanch asparagus for five minutes, I'll be like, yes, chef, but, you know, uh, at Che Jose, we're going to only blanch it for a minute. And it was just a joke like that. And then I use it at Isa as well. Like, you know, when one of the cooks will do something and I'll be like, if this will be Che Jose, I'll fire you right now. Um, you must have been really popular. Uh, <laughs> Everyone's like, I can't wait to work at Che Jose. <laughs> so, you know, we get this opportunity and I was like freaking out about the, 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 the name of it. And uh, my friends were like, well, now you're fucked. You're going to have to call it Che Jose. <laughs> so, so that's, that's what Che Jose, that's, what's, that's where the name comes from. And then the, the, the experience and... and the way that we that we put the food together and, and all the things that we were doing, like Pam was explaining, was very heavily influenced on our time in Europe, um, but also was heavily influenced by a lot of things that we didn't like about the dining scene in New York, like, you know, going to big restaurants where it's almost like robotic, uh, the experience that you have. And, and we wanted to create something that felt real, something that 
we will be able to like talk to the guests and you know maybe it wasn't perfect but at least like we were trying our best and we were we were cooking from the heart and like doing all these things that that people happen to to like a lot you know people were 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 really 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 into it and and we had a really good fan base and in fact actually some of our really good friends right now we went through the restaurant and um and so we we you know we get the opportunity to do semilla and and we said uh, let's try to not do you know not change the whole concept you know if it, if it wasn't broken why fix it mm-hmm. so now we open semilla and trying to focus on the same things you know focus on vegetables focus on the personal experience focus on like having a, a very small communal dining space where like people feel like they're almost dining in this big table with other people i mean another main motivation is the fact that we both believe pretty heavily in the fact that we should all be eating less meat it's just not a very sustainable model to Absolutely. be living off of. And I think that, you know, we, everything that we do, we, we look for sustainability. We look for supporting the right people, the right motivation. Like, you know, if we do use, um, well, the vegetables are all from very small um, farms that work with great integrity. The same with the wine, the same with any protein that we happen to use as well. Yeah, can we talk about this for a second, though, yeah. sort of like unpacking this concept? Because um, this is this is a very timely thing to be talking about, but I feel like a lot of people kind of talk the talk but not necessarily walk the walk. And you guys are really implementing this idea of, like, what what changes actually need to happen in the food system and the way we eat. And there's a lot of places that are, like, vegetarian, and then there's a lot of places that are, like, pork belly all day and not a lot in between. And you guys are doing something really unique. Right. And it's a conversation that, you know, I think we, we mentioned before, Dan Barber's kind of spearheading with the third table and the way he's, like, looking at food at Stone Barns, and he's got this, like, beet furter that he's um, including in his menu right now, which is, like, a hot dog, but it's 80% beet and then, like, a little bit of meat. <laughs> so, so it, I mean, is this the thing that's really driving you? Like, we've got this crisis potentially happening with, like, 90 billion people that, you know, there's just not a lot of food not enough food to go around if we keep eating as much meat as we do. And people are like very kind of defensive about the idea of suddenly having to become vegetarian. And so this seems to make sense to me. Like the idea that we're, we're eating the way a lot of cultures in, in Asia and other sure. places have been eating most of their lives where it's about vegetables and then the meat plays a supporting role. So how did you come to this conclusion? Uh, I mean, it, I think it's, it's, uh, it's pretty wide news out there, all the wrong things with our meat um, system, our protein system in this country. But like you said, it's nothing new. I mean, it's been done forever. You know, you look at Chinese dishes, you look at Thai dishes, like, um, I mean, you, you look at even like, uh, like even, even meat-centric Spain, like, uh, although there is meat on all the, the meals, like you look at a paella and a paella might have just a little bit of pork or just a little bit of fish. It's not like a lot a of pork protein. chop, for example. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think before, like, you know, people, there was like a middle and high class. Like we spent a month in Southeast Asia last year and a lot of the food is super flavorful and, and might have a component that's meat, but they know how to use the ingredient in a way to flavor the dish, not as like being the main component of the dish. And that's know? exactly what, we, what we're trying to do at Che Jose. It's like, I mean, I don't have anything against serving protein. And in fact, sometimes we do. Uh, but when we do, I like it to be, uh, to come from very responsible sources and, and be as sustainable as it can be. So, I mean, we, we serve beef every once in a while, but when we do it, we use older cows that were dairy cows. And, and that can be the trend in some restaurants in, in you know, in the United States now, but, but that's what's been done in Europe forever, you know, because yeah. you have these animals that you're slaughtering and what are you going to do with that? Yeah. So it's, it's really, it's, I don't think it's anything new. I think it's reteaching the American public um, uh, that way of eating that, you know, the way of eating that. Yeah. I think historically it's not new, but I totally consider you sure. guys to be pioneers because I don't think a lot of people are actually like making the changes in their menus in America. Right. Yeah. I think it's, it's, we're small. We can, we can do this, but mm-hmm. in a larger restaurant, it, it might be hard. It might be hard to pull off. I mean, 
you have your dishes that you know are going to sell your pork belly, your, you know, there are those go-to things that you know are going to fly out the door. And to take that step and take that risk to say, no, this is how I feel. This is where I stand. This is what I'm cooking and stand behind it. Then that's, that's a risk. Mm -hmm. Um, Also being able to have, you know, our partner, uh, Joe Carroll support this idea too. That, I mean, without, without him, Without the three of us together working side by side, this wouldn't have been possible, you know. Um, but, you know, it's, it's really, I think, and I'm not batching any other chefs out there. I love pork belly. I love pork chops. I love scallops. Like, I do eat a lot of meat whenever I want to eat a lot of meat. But it, to a certain extent, it's also, like, fairly easy as a chef to just choose the scallops and, like, put a little bit of whatever on top of it. And people are going to like that. Who, who's not going to like that? And the same thing with the pork chop. Just put whatever on the plate and you put pork chop on top of it. And who's not going to like that? So it takes a little bit more, uh, a little bit more, yeah, a little bit more of an effort. to. Yeah, it's probably harder for you guys to kind of design your menu, especially because it's constantly changing when you're not just like steak. Yeah, I mean, just put a piece of, you know, just roast the, the, the perfect beet and like serve it simply with like, I don't know, fermented rampaioli and be able to wow people by just a piece of beat it's 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 incredibly hard yeah. and a lot of things can go wrong with such a it's a minimal dish um but i think you know we're not here to preach to anybody like really we are not we're, we're here to cook the food that, that we want to cook from our heart um and 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 in that process uh teach people a lesson which we do get a lot at the end of the meal people are very often saying one of the two things people are saying either Oh wow! Like there was no protein on the menu, and I'm full because they're mm. s- starting with a preconceived idea that yeah. if they just eat vegetables, they're not gonna be full. And two, being like, oh wow! Like I didn't even miss miss meat. So that that sort of like gives you that that you know where where people are coming from, and being able to execute a menu, and and be able. To, to see people and to hear people saying things like that, I, I can't tell you how gratifying that is from our end. I want to ask you guys about the, the concept of the dining counter. That's definitely been, uh, you know, a, a, I don't know if I want to call it a trend, but it, it's kind of a, a, an appearing trend within sure. New York. Um, Brooklyn Fair comes to mind. Blanca comes to mind. What uh, made you guys decide to, to do the dining counter concept? Well, it was never our intention, actually, to have a dining counter. I think we are both sort of like we don't want to be on display. We we didn't want the... the, I mean, we only have a counter at the space right now because the space is so small that we could not fit 18 people any other way. Something that we did want to do was um, when we were doing the pop-up, we had communal seating just because that was what was at the place we were using. So a lot of people would come and sit with strangers and share the experience with strangers, and we really wanted to preserve that idea of sharing and, and you know, not just having your isolated meal with your partner if you want. So the only way we were able to maximize the seating in our area and still maintain that feeling of communal dining was with an 18 seat. It's a U-shaped counter, so you're actually facing directly across from other customers. And it's close enough that if you wanted to, you could have a dialogue with that person. And although the kitchen is open, it's not you're not facing towards the kitchen. You're not in, you're not supposed you're to facing be staring. Over the guests. Yeah, you're, you're not supposed to be staring at us. Also, we're not doing the traditional like counter restaurant seatings where everybody comes in at X time and Y time and sit down. Mm. We we didn't want that. That sounds very ceremonial and like it. it you know, for me, it's like, oh, you, people come here to worship us, which it shouldn't be like that. People come here, should come to Semilla to uh, eat good food and have it an extremely good time. Um, so, so yeah, we, we stood away from like doing the traditional seating and we allow people to book at many different times throughout the night. And, and that gives it a more, um, a, a less, less high end feeling a more comfortable feeling to people and that's what we wanted to create we wanted to create this restaurant that that although we are very serious about the food that we produce we we don't take ourselves too too seriously and oh sorry there's a it's a prefix yes yes Okay, so can you just talk a little bit about how this works? Because I know you guys don't sure, have I mean, a menu on your website. Yeah. I'm assuming it's changing <laughs> all the time. Sort of. This was uh, this was an, an intentional thing. I mean, we we want people to have the feeling of walking in and being liberated from a huge menu of making choices and just 
you know, sit down and be like, I want to be fed dinner. It's almost like going to your friend's house. You don't ask them what's on the menu tonight. Like, you sit down. (laughs) (laughs) Can you give me a printed menu? Yeah. (laughs) Um, You sit down and you sort of, like, submit yourself. You trust your friend. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of the feeling that we want to put out there. Um, And then the same thing goes for the wine. Like, you don't know what you're eating, so let's, let's also help you choose your wines. And that way we can really put together an amazing experience for someone I think and it's not I think it's also like a lot of times you'll read something on a menu and you're you're gonna have a preconceived notion of like what that dish is supposed to taste like or like oh that doesn't sound good I don't want that and I think that taking that whole element away and just letting people be surprised have the element of surprise of getting a dish and tasting it and smelling it and and you know just having the sensory experience before they're having the intellectual experience um, sort of changes the whole idea, you know, of, of dining. Yeah. Also, I mean, we we didn't have we didn't print menus at Che Jose, and this is like you know one of very long conversations that you know Pam and I had uh, with Joe as well, in which we go back to the same thing: if if, it, if it's not broken, why fix it? And people were having a, a really good. People were giving us amazing feedback at Che Jose, so we opened Semilla and we're like, you know, I was the first one to think like, oh, we should print menus. And Pam is like, no, we we no. shouldn't. We never. I'm trying to save the trees. We <laughs> <laughs> we never did. Why start doing something? Um, so so we we just sort of like went for it, and so far so good. Nobody nobody has sat down yet yet, <laughs> and has a, has asked us for a menu. Although people has have asked us for the menu at the end of the night. In which, at that case, we just emailed them back, like, whatever they had to eat that night. That's, I was going to add to that idea of, of trust. And, and why should these people paying a certain amount of money mm-hmm. sit down and trust you? Well, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a hard thing. I mean, this is not the way I feel. Sure. I would love to sit down and have you guys cook and me not have to think about one fucking thing. But, you know, when yeah. you're opening yourself up to the public sure. as a brick-and-mortar restaurant... It's a very legitimate question. Um, I think people are sort of self-selecting. Like, if you put that out there that this is what we're doing and people aren't okay with it, they're not going to show up. Exactly. Um, And I think some of the best experiences that we've had have been those experiences in which we go somewhere and the chef sort of comes over and they're like, no, 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 I'm not, takes the menu away. It's like, I'm going to cook for you. And that's, those have been some of the most rewarding experiences for us. But you know, the everyday diner doesn't usually get that experience. That's something that chefs do for other chefs. And it's like, why shouldn't they have that experience? We wanted to do it for everybody. Like, I wanted, uh, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to be able to, like, provide that personal experience to every single guest that comes into the room. And, and you're totally right. I mean, the, the person, you know, the person who can commit to an experience like that because they're not going to see a menu they're not going to come in. And, and I think we're okay with that, you know? How are you able to craft a personal experience for every diner that comes in? I mean, is everyone eating, is there like one menu that's in your head a night or do you really have a conversation or try and get to have some sort of sense of like intimacy with that person so you're like, I know what you need? Well, I mean, I don't know. Yesterday, for example, I, I sat people down. I gave them menus. I chose wines with them. I poured them the wine. I talk about the menu. Um, I made sure that I, you know, say bye to them. I had a little bit of a little bit of a chat at the end of the meal. Pam did the exact same. The our, our cook Max goes out to the dining room, explains dishes, talks to people, and it's more of a of a of a team. We treat we treat our 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 restaurant has like a big kitchen, you know, where everybody's out for each other, you know, everybody works with each other. I'm sorry. And, you know, like sometimes in the kitchen, we polish silverware and you, and we reset a table. Sometimes we clear the table and, and that's how we can provide. That's one of the ways that we can provide a personal experience. I mean, how many restaurants do you get where you can, where you, you know, where a cook explains the dishes and every single person in, in our team is very different from each other. So, one of us might be a little bit more awkward than the other, and that's the personal experience that we're providing to people, um, being also, able to talk to us and, and ask questions and you know feel comfortable at the space. And also, like for example, yesterday someone came in, and usually at the pop-up they would specify beforehand, like, oh, I have a dairy intolerance or whatever. And some woman came in, and you know I had 
two desserts with some dairy in them, and she had a dairy intolerance, so I made her something different, and she really felt touched by that because a lot of times people are like, well, no, I can't do it. you know. And I think people know that we're very in tune to what they need. Of course, we're not going to go out of our way. Oh, I'm just like on a diet, and I'm not having like heavy cream right now. Um, it's also like the, the way, I mean, we have all these conversations, and I mean, we don't really have a back, but let, let's just say the back just for the sake of not, you know, not in front of people in which we talk about every single guest. It's like, okay, these guests are very engaging, you know, like, and at that moment I will send, you know, Max, the, you know, our cook, like to talk to them a little bit more or we get people that they just want to be a little bit more reserved and they want to order the bottle of wine and be left alone. And those people we leave alone, you know, and, and then the same thing to like some of our, you know, guests from, from Che Jose, they come in and they're loving it. They, they really want to talk to us. And we try to make that time to actually talk to every single guest and fill it out. Sometimes people come in and they're eating super fast. And so then we pick up the pace of the menu. Sometimes people come in like yesterday and, and they're feeling a little bit rushed. So we just like hold it a little bit back. And, and, you know, I'm not saying that we're doing anything different than any other restaurant out there. But the fact that the kitchen, it's constantly in the dining room and in the kitchen, it, it's what's making our experience a little bit different than the normal, rest, normal quote-unquote, restaurant out there. Mm-hmm. Another thing that you guys are doing that, that not a lot of places do is you're creating a, a full house-made, non-alcoholic beverage program, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, we're, I mean, it's just, it's just a very simple thought. Like, we... You know, I was doing this at Isa uh, just because I, I, I mean, I, I don't know, I love it. There's no other good reason for it. But then, you know, I, I realized that if we're going to the extent of going to the farmer's market, you know, three, four times a week and, and forging these relationships with small farmers upstate and going to, that, to, to those lengths to get the product, it doesn't make sense for us to serve Coca-Cola. So if it's going to be a cohesive experience, it has to be a cohesive experience from the moment that people come in through the door to the moment that they leave. And, and it has to be cohesive with our wine menu and it has to be cohesive with the food and the beverage menu and, and the non-alcoholic menu That's so, so people can feel um, a little bit better when they leave. Yeah, and I mean, we're not, you know... For example, if someone doesn't feel like having alcohol, like we want to have... Options for them that are very exciting as well, you know, and there's so many, you know, we buy stuff and we have a little bit here and there. We can come up with something interesting, you know, herbs or juices or or shrubs or, you know, it's pickle and liquids, brine liquids, nut milks, you name it. I mean, it's the the non-alcoholic beverage program. It's it's limitless. The name Samia translates in from Spanish to English to seed. Yep. What uh, I guess what brought you guys to, to to choose that name for your first restaurant? Well, I spent a long time poring over the name. It's it was pretty hard. Jose is pretty much like you know you come up with something. <laughs> there was, I mean, after after a while, I was like, you know what? I don't I don't fucking care anymore. Just, <laughs> yeah, he's just, like, just, you just decide. Name it something. restaurant. Right, right. The restaurant. <laughs> um, so I started to think about the things that are important to us. And at the same time, I was doing a lot of work. I got this grant from the James Beard Foundation to study grain. And so I was in Denmark with a guy who was like breeding and, and with a farmer who was growing grain and a miller who was milling. And there was always a lot of conversation about seed. Um, and I thought, you know, having a vegetable focus, like everything comes from a seed. And also seed is sort of a metaphor for something that starts small and grows. And for us, that's the way I see it. I see this is just the beginning of something that, like, where we are now, we're not going to be in the same place a year from now or three years from now. Like, we want the ability to start here and just keep evolving as cooks, as a restaurant, as a place. So the idea of seed, to me, embodies that, of growth, of of change, um, responding to the environment. So, but the word seed itself to me sounds a little bit too Health typically, <laughs> typically Brooklyn juice or, bar, <laughs> granola bar. It's a little crunchy. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little <laughs> crunchy. It, it wasn't exactly the vibe we wanted to put out there. Um, the word, I mean, we both speak Spanish. We both have lived in Spain. He's from Puerto Rico. Our street, Havemeyer Street, is historically and still very lat- Latino. 
um, our Puerto Rican and Dominican specifically. Exactly. So we decided, well, what about using the word semilla? It's sort of an homage to the neighborhood, and also it's a much more graceful rendition of the word seed. It just um, felt right, you know. It's like, beautiful. It, it just being on the south side of Williamsburg, like it just feels right to name a restaurant Semilla, and you know, I, I for me, I don't know. There's something so gratifying for me to hear the the Latinos who may or may not come to the restaurant uh, pronounce it, you know, being like, "Oh, Semilla." For me, that's very. And like, then gratifying. we get the people saying Semilla. <laughs> of course. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so that for me is very gratifying. It's it, you know it's a, it's a bit of a fancy place for the, the, the you know the, the people in the neighborhood, but you know being able for them to see it and like pop in the window and say hi and like you know collect our mail every once in a while or like even get our back like hey man you you left the lock you know open yesterday I have it in my apartment I'll bring it back later and then being then being able to like you know pronounce the name rather than some esoteric name that god knows what it means like for me means a lot you know it really does but pam i have to say i mean you are a little crunchy and i and i certainly don't mean that (laughs) pejoratively because i did read that you're you're grinding your own kernels in house (laughs) and you spent some time at anson mills so can what what I mean, it's maybe crunchy for New York, but all around the world, like, I feel this is something that either historically has been the norm or is becoming the norm. I mean, I think on the in the Northeast, we're a little bit behind in that way. I think, like, this is something that I feel will really come into the limelight in the next year and a half, like this whole sort of understanding or of, of grain as a, as a product, not just as a commodity. Um you know, there's been so much focus on where does your where does your meat come from, where do your vegetables come from, but no, very few. And you know, at the same time, the escalating numbers of people with uh, gluten intolerance and so forth, and why is this happening? And and these were a lot of the questions that I had when I went out to, you know, go to South Carolina and talk to Glenn. And Glenn has been incredibly informative and amazing. Um, it's Glenn Roberts. S- Glenn Roberts mm-hmm. from Anson Mills. He's super. I mean, he's a super interesting guy. He is doing something that nobody is doing in the United States. Um, he's growing heirloom varieties that date back from, you know, the history of the South that comprise of, you know, ingredients that that made up a cuisine that has completely disappeared. And there's a lot of history to that. There's a lot of, you know, he's bringing back farming methods from the slaves that came from Africa that, like, you know, by themselves were organic because, you know, they're, they're old methods. So I'm not going to lie. Like, it's going to be hard to do what I want to do. I want my goal is to use 100 percent grains from the northeast United States. And that's that's very difficult. Extremely hard, actually, um, because Right now, there's mainly. not there's not a lot. I mean, there are there are a bunch of growers, but everybody's sort of still learning like how to do this because it's something that even though this area used to produce a lot of grains, uh, all of that knowledge and all of that information base has been lost. So, anyway, to to get back to the point, a lot of the white flour you buy in the grocery store is is completely dead and devoid of nutrients. It's been sifted with the bran, which is where most of the beneficial nutrients are found. And it's been, you know, stored on a shelf for a long period of time. It's basically dead. It, it's it's not it's not feeding your body anything useful. Which, going back to the gluten allergies that we're making fun of earlier, it's, you know, there's some theories that are, exp- you know, are, are explaining why are we getting so many intolerances and so many allergies. And it's because... The fact that people have been putting on their bodies like these flowers and grains that have absolute zero value for nutritionally wise for the body. And not only that, but it's also like the the modern wheat. The modern wheat it has a really high molecular weight and therefore for the body to break down um, you know, the the cell structure it's really difficult. So that also brings brings into mind like the way that you're baking bread and that is with industrial, you know, commercial yeast, you have fast, fast rise time. So you're you're not really you don't have enough time for for all the 
fermentation to actually break down the, the gluten. So when you use like a natural levain, you have longer ferment, ferment times, like you're able to break down. It's just like sort of like um, soaking and sprouting grains. You know, you're, you're making all of the nutrients more available. You're breaking it down over the long time of it, that it's fermenting. And therefore, you're, more of the nutrients are available to the body. So, you know, not only do I want to use all whole grains, but I'd like to get my whole grains in full seed so I can grind it when I bake. That way, you know, you're getting the fresh flavor, the fresh nutrients. I'm not saying that I'm there yet, but it's something that I'm working towards. So it's definitely like I, I bought a mill. I have, you know, I'm only fermenting using natural yeast. And so, you know, this it's hard in a commercial setting. It's hard in a restaurant setting when you have deadlines, when you have time timelines to respect and you're working with something that sort of works on its on its own time, you know? It's incredibly ambitious, and I'm really, really excited about it. Thank you. Yeah, I'm definitely excited to see how really Simia grows. <laughs> Let's take a break here on The Morning After. We're going to come back with The Morning After Quiz. You are listening to Fighting Dub by Evan Hashi on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Hey, what's up? This is John Norris, and you're listening to the Heritage Radio Network. And we're back here on The Morning After. Uh, we're talking with Pam Young and Jose Ramirez Ruiz of the restaurant Semilla in Brooklyn. Semilla, in Spanish, means seed. So, Pam and Jose, I want to know what you know about America's most famous seed, Johnny Appleseed. <laughs> this is the morning after quiz. I'm going to fail this so badly. It's not even funny. It's not like your SATs. <laughs> Don't worry. Um, I will give you three multiple choice questions, get all of them correct, and you win the glory of becoming a uh, morning after quiz champ. No one, <laughs> The first. The first. No one has, and I would say at least 10, maybe. 10 quizzes wow. since we've been doing the morning okay. after quiz. Okay, we can do no this. One has won. We've so, had two out of three, and that's it. Okay. I mean, that ain't bad. That ain't bad. That ain't bad. <laughs> and really. That's respect. So let's get it going. Question one Famous for spreading his apple seeds all over much of the Midwestern United States, Johnny was said to be welcomed into every home on the frontier. So, welcomed into every front- front home on the frontier. Why? For what reason? A, he was a missionary spreading the word of God and blessing babies. B, people were starving and his apple saved entire communities. Or C, he was getting them drunk. A. C. Oh. Jose, it is C. Correct. Shit, look at that. Correct. He was getting them drunk? Pam, he actually was a missionary, but Johnny Appleseed... That's what I read. I thought he was a missionary. He's famous for... Uh, for being against grafting. And so all of the apples that he were he was planting were likely inedible and used for making cider. So really what he did was spread the idea of alcohol and cider across the frontier. I read this is from the Michael Pollan. The funny thing is I That's looked this amazing. up and I read this a while ago and I remembered the missionary part, but I forgot the other part. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was probably, I mean, I'm sure you read the, the Michael Pollan book. Um, what is it? Omnivore's the, Dilemma. No, Cooked? no, I've, I've got it here somewhere. It's, um, oh, Botany of Desire. Yes. Uh, a plant's eye view of the world. Mm-hmm. Of the world. So, kind of cool. Johnny Appleseed actually was spreading <laughs> spreading booze. I mean, are you going to let a missionary in your house? <laughs> he had cider. Everyone was like, yeah, come I on. Sure. I thought great. you were getting out that he was spreading his... Well, it's always fun to to imply, sorry. (laughs) Innuendo is one of our favorite things to do. Question two. A lifelong bachelor, Johnny Appleseed, gave this answer when asked why he was not wed. Is it A, I'm gay? (laughs) 
<laughs> is it B, two female spirits will be my wives in the afterlife? Or is it C, I am married to the apples? <laughs> Which B. they're also weird. B. Jose says B. C? Pam says C. Are you just saying C? C, for, C, C. For fun? C, C. <laughs> C, C, no, no. Okay. B. It is B. Wow. Jose. Jose. Getting up there. Congratulations. Clearly I've lost already. Wait, what, what was B again? Can so B write? was uh, that he believed that two female spirits would be his wives in the afterlife. That's weird. <laughs> this guy was like barefoot walking around giving people apple seeds and cider. <laughs> Wait, isn't there something in, like if you eat apple seeds they're supposed to supposedly uh, a little poisonous yeah, yeah like a little cyanide cyanide cyanide. But, cyanide yeah cyanide but a lot of the seeds have this specifically like bitter sure, almonds a little too, right? in small quantities so yeah. obviously I'm sure you can eat some but not a large it's amount. like everything yeah if you eat like a 50 pound bag of it yes you will die but I think the same thing will go to like onions or carrots right but maybe like, if you only eat like 10 pounds of it it just becomes a hallucinogenic yeah i don't know or apples grow in your gut totally possible i'm kind of off subject but i once saw someone on the subway eat an entire apple and when i say eat an entire apple eat the whole core stem everything everything. definitely an omnivore that person was hungry that person was hungry (laughs) and i like my mouth just dropped open anyway question three (laughs) for the gold jose legend has it Johnny Appleseed's favorite apple variety shares its name with what Sylvester Stallone film? Is it A, Rocky? Is it B, Cliffhanger? Or is it C, Rambo? A. Jose says A, Rocky. Pam, what do you say? I'm going to side with Jose, A. A, Rocky. It is actually C, Rambo! Once again, the morning after quiz takes another victim. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you guys for playing. Thank you. you. Sari, it's been a good show. (laughs) That was the quiz taking another victim. (laughs) Please check out Samia in Brooklyn. It's on Have a Meyer. What is your Instagram, Twitter, Facebook? Only Instagram and Twitter. We think we cannot... Possibly maintain. going to start charging, so we're like, "Fuck it, let's not." No, look there's just we, too we, many to keep track of. Let's 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 just keep it manageable. We're on we're on Twitter and Instagram. Simia BK. Can you spell that? S e m i l l a b k. Gracias. <laughs> Check them out. This is the morning after on Heritage Radio Network dot org. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>